Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have co-host Chris Sheridan on the line. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing great, Jason. Great to be here. I'm excited about today's show. Chris is actually gonna gonna take the take the wheel on this one. We're doing um, a special edition of the show on the secret teachings of all ages. Manley Hall's uh, excellent book, uh, subtitled "An Encyclopedic Outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian Symbolical Philosophy." And we are doing this because May twenty eighth is the anniversary of this uh, special and most esteemed book, uh, May 28th. It's in the preface at the beginning of the book. Manley Hall uh, makes some comments about the book and so on, and, we've, and that date is given. So we are using uh, that as our anniversary celebration for this fantastic book. Um, I'm going to do a little invocation. This is off of a statue, a statue of an Egyptian initiate done by a uh, uh, Claire, Claire Pierpont. Is that correct? Claire Pierpont, right? Pierpoint. Pierpoint. I'm sorry. Claire Pierpoint. <laughs> and she was one of the um, supporters of the PRS uh, and an artist uh, who Manley Hall was, was acquainted with. And she was uh, a, a follower of uh, his work uh, and donated many important artworks to, to the PRS subsequently. This is off of the statue of this Egyptian initiate. It's, it's in the uh, courtyard of the PRS near the auditorium. And it says on the back, and this is the invocation for today, Thou son who has covered the truth with thy golden disc, do thou remove the veil so that I may see the truth within thee and know the meaning of thy rays of glory. For the truth that is within thee is within me, and I am that. And then on the statue, it actually says, Thou art that. Tatvam Asi. It doesn't say Tatvam Asi, but that's a Vedantic statement. Thou art that. And without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to you, Chris, and lead us to some, some Manly Hall and Secret Teachings wisdom. All right. Well, thanks for that opening invocation. It's uh, very, uh, I've probably seen that a thousand times uh, or more uh, going in there. And every time I stop and just, hmm, I always take a look at that or consider that. So, yes, we are going to discuss primarily, actually specifically, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Uh, this book has been in continuous publication now for 91 years, as of May 28th, and has gone through several editions and reprints, uh, different sizes and prices throughout the years. And it has endured, to this day, the Masonic Hall in Washington, D.C. Uh, counts it, and they've tweeted about this, it counts it as uh, their number one requested uh, most interested book in their large collection in oh, that's their fantastic. library. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's uh, relevant today. Uh, there's a whole new generation uh, getting interested in it. There's a reader's edition copy that is available at bookstores, uh, it's not huge. You can actually lug it around with you. Yeah. And it's got a great index and you can look it up. And uh, so it's, and there's a PDF version of it somewhere, I think. Uh, and it's online. It's sacred text. So it has, again, morphed into this current technological you know, media landscape um, that we have. But the ideas and the content within the pages or <laughs> text uh, is quite ancient. It goes way back and so far that the origins and actual true natures of a lot of the mystery traditions uh, really are unknown. So these fragments, you know, have been brought back and it is an encyclopedia. This current uh, torture, I think penguin version of it that you can get at Borders and Barnes and Nobles, uh, is uh, it's called the reader's edition, but it's kind of not a reader book like you would read a novel or mm -hmm. a nonfiction thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Manuel makes no uh, mistake about it. It is an encyclopedia. Now, it's put in a form the text is, but you can actually read it. There's sentences and not just bullet points. 
so there is a, a narrative uh, as if from a narrator or storyteller, uh, but it's, it really is an encyclopedia and it needs to be seen as that. And I think we'll, as we go through our talk today, um, we'll see just how that is and why it is that we need to look at it um, that way. And uh, the book itself um, really had quite a journey to uh, just to come into being uh, from the initial idea to when the initial set of uh, subscribers editions uh, were out. Um, and it's just as uh, almost interesting as the journey that it's, it's taken since. So I guess for this talk today, we can maybe break it down to a few parts. We're going to talk about the journey of the book coming into being, and let's really talk about the book without getting into too much detail about any particular entry. Okay. Really just look at the structure of the book, you know, what it is and almost why it is too and how sure. to approach it. Yeah. Um, and then we'll look at, uh, you know, this more contemporary, um, okay, what does it do for me now? Uh, like you and me now in this time frame where we are 91 years after, after its publication, uh, why is it still relevant? And if so, how? So the journey of the book uh, started with, you know, they say a journey of 10,000 miles starts with a single step. This book started with a journey of 38,000 miles. And mm. um, he, in late 1923, uh, when Mr. Hall was 22, he uh, announced that he was setting out on a world tour to Japan, to the Forbidden City in China, to places in the Near East, um, to places at that time, 100 years ago, it were really difficult to get to, even travel yeah. itself. You were on a steamer, and we didn't really, you know, it was, it was very much a challenge and an expense, uh, and quite a journey. And it took him about nine months uh, to make this world tour. And of course, he stopped in uh, London and spent uh, several weeks at the British Museum. So let me, and this, let me jump in real quick, just to contextualize this for people who are not too familiar with Manly Hall. Uh, at this point, he has not started the PRS. He is, he's, uh, he's speaking out, but pretty infrequently out in, in Los Angeles. Was he in Los Angeles by this time? He was, right? Yeah, from 1919 on, he started speaking at the Church of the People okay. in Santa Monica. And very shortly, he took over from the uh, aged um, you know, leader of that okay. uh, church. Uh, but it was a very metaphysical, very new age. It was such a huge movement sure. in Los Angeles from the late 1800s to, you know, the you know, 20s, 30s. Um, and then, of course, again, in the 60s, it also became a mecca for exactly. exploring alternate consciousness well, and even today, different traditions. It remains so today. And, and it is again today. And that's exactly. how it, you know, they go in cycles. And I think we're really on a new uh, uh, on the yeah, and for the same reasons. Uh, that we've lost our way. We've been stuck in this material. Sure. And we need to get back on track. We need to reacquaint ourselves with these ancient symbols. Exactly. And uh, what they mean uh, to us and be able to talk and speak that language of symbolic philosophy and, and mythology. And so speaking of that, that was uh, one of the main reasons he set out to, to do this book in the first place. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. It is. And um, this type of a book um, had been published uh, before, in a sense. There was the Anacalypsis mm -hmm. in, I think, the 1830s, and there was Isis Unveiled and uh, The Secret, Secret Doctrine, Doctrine. By, yep. uh, by Madame Blavatsky uh, in the later 1800s. And in all three cases, these were two-volume books, very, very lengthy, probably a thousand pages when you put them all together. And it is a comparative religion, a um, gathering, a, and an anthology mm -hmm. of a, a lot of different traditions that were very obscure sure. and compiled together. And he references uh, those works and many more uh, in the secret teachings. Uh, so, and initially when he announced this trip to go around the world to gather material and experience firsthand some of these cultures. He didn't want to just do it from a, 
from behind a desk or stuck in a library somewhere. Mm -hmm. He he went to the pyramids. He went to the Forbidden City. Uh, He went to Jerusalem in 1924. So he he put himself there. So there was at least some level of walking some of those footsteps as he's gathering this together. That was very important. And that was the beginning of it. Uh, Before he wrote a word, he took this trip and took notes. Uh, but he initially an- announced that it was going to be a two-volume work. Uh, then there was another announcement that it was going to be this two-volume book, and he was going to also offer a more graphical uh, set of symbolic prints and images. There was more like a picture book. Uh, I think what happened sometime uh, in the process, he realized he could merge all these together. So it is very much a visual book. Yeah. There are color plates back when color printing wasn't uh, really, it was very expensive and very difficult and not a lot of people did it. And all of those, uh, uh, but, those color plates were all done by J. Augustus Knapp, correct? And Mr. Were, Mr. All uh, uh, had him do those original, those original pieces of artwork specifically for the book, right? They were definitely commissioned. Um, they had worked um, before on, the uh, Lost Keys of Freemasonry in, I think, 1923. Mm. Uh, and uh, Knapp was very familiar in Masonic circles uh, because he did the illustrations for John Erie Lloyd's Edidorfa, uh book. Oh, very and, good. Okay. And that was in the late 1800s. So he was definitely somebody... Um, he was the kind of the go-to guy. And after the secret teachings, Hall and Knapp uh, developed and printed a tarot card deck to get the Knapp Hall tarot card deck. Which so is, there's, yeah, that's a great, it's, deck. it's been I reprinted. You can actually get it. Uh, it's available now. That's uh, a fantastic so, deck. So there was a long time, you know, there was and uh, in, in such a common interest in, in this type of material. And although this is somewhat speculative, I can't help but think there was also a common concern for the need to gather this material again and put it out. So really for this first time, he was at a crossroads, an opportunity of old world bookmaking where the artisans and he went to great lengths to choose the exact paper and the, uh, the particular printer and, and the, the ink yeah, yeah. and these, you know, this, you had to use you know, copper and zinc, you know, processing to, to make these color plates uh, and it was, and again, it was expensive. You know, I think $100,000 was put in. Yeah, I remember the reading that, it. which I, I wanted for, to kind of contextualize that for people today. I mean, this is this is 1920, what, when he's doing this, 22, 23? 25, something? 26, okay. you know, in, in that area. When so $100,000, I mean, was like a million dollars today or more, right? I mean, is it equivalent. was quite, uh, quite expensive. That's and the book only sum- sold for a hundred dollars. So. And mind you, he also, this was an interesting thing I read in one of these, these side articles that we were looking at this week uh, in preparation for the show that uh, he's at this time, he didn't have a, a cent. I mean, to put this book together, he's not a wealthy person. He's not from a background of prestige and power. And so this endeavor was, was really a, a, a speculative uh, sort of a, a venture for him. I mean, he had to raise the funds. He had to put the people together. I mean, it was like almost like he was a, a producer of an independent film or something. I mean, he's putting together artists, like you said. And, well, a pre-sale right? is a, a term that sure. you used to, to make a, a film Certainly. where you sell broadcasting or exactly. printing rights, uh, exhibition rights before the film is shot. So he had sold 1,200 copies, um, I believe, at $75, <laughs> the pre-sale uh, price. Uh, it, it then went up to one hundred dollars yep. uh, for the retail price, but these pre-sales were were seventy five, and uh, you know, before the first one rolled off the printing press, yep. so there was great demand. Uh, he was a known person by then. Well, he had um, written in, Lost Keys, those... right? He had written uh, Initiates mm-hmm. of the Flame, and he had written these. What was it? The Wands and Serpents? Is that the other one? Uh, yeah, that was one of his first. Was one of the, kind of, some of those were smaller pamphlet uh, size. Uh, he had reprinted many lectures. He had been speaking nonstop, and he had he had a audience. good following and, by that time. And it was, you know, we're talking the twenties. Yeah. there was, you know, there was kind of a prosperous time. Sure, sure. Um, this is so prior I to think, the Great Depression, 
So that's what people need to play. It is. This is it prior is. to the crash. It, it does play a factor later, doesn't it? It most certainly does, and it's reflected in, in the work. Um, but at this time, so no expense was spared because you, know, you could do yep. that. I, and also he being kind of an old man in a young man's body and being in his mid-20s, uh, he had such a, a breadth and depth and love and just you know, uncanny uh, a way of speaking and, and having such a vast knowledge about the ancient mysteries. Um, at that time, it was, I'm not saying it was a dying art or a craft, uh, but there weren't too many young people doing it that were, that were not these kind of new age charlatans mm -hmm. or new thought or, you know, there was, there was everything else. Sure. Fakes. He <laughs> talks know? about that, the fake swamis and the prosperity consciousness yeah. preachers and all these sort of fly by night charlatans that were dominating right. the scene at the time. And Hall had this undeniable authenticity. Uh, he didn't try to, he never had a doctrine or tried to sell, mm -hmm. a, you know, a cult thing. You know, he had a nonprofit organization that he raised funds for and asked for donations uh, but it was never about being a, a Hallite yeah. or, uh, or something like sure. that. He was all about the ancient wisdom. And, you know, of course, he was the, you know, the, the face the, of the whole thing. But, um, but it wasn't about a cult of personality or anything like that uh, with him. So people knew at the time. And he had a couple of benefactors. And then taking over this church from this uh, uh, Raymond Blight who uh, the church of the people uh, of course it had its own following and here's this young guy who's dynamic and uh, very very he's very grown up as a young mm -hmm. man and uh, and he knew this information and was able to express it in such a way that that people could connect with it and uh, so all the followers you know in this church were like oh my gosh here's this guy that can can really do something uh, and, you know, books were getting bankrolled. Uh, Hemingway, his first two books were, you know, were funded by people, not a publisher, not because he was popular, but he got uh, some benefactors that believed in yeah. him. So, you know, this, this kind of thing happened, and I'm sure it happens today. But it's uh, interesting how he took this on. And although it took, you know, about five years between the time he ventured off on this journey, which is also published in a book called 38,000 miles of impressions and he would write letters back and then he kind of summed things up at the end about this journey that he took and some pictures uh, as he was in meeting firsthand these cultures uh, at a time when that was not very common also Madame Levatsky whom he greatly admired had traveled in Nepal and uh, sometimes dressing as a man uh, so she could gain entry into places that were just it was just difficult to travel mm -hmm. anywhere yeah just in general uh, but then to be able to get into these places sure. but that was uh so this book really begins with an adventure which i think is really neat um and of course then the book itself now, is, is that taken a book on its own uh, is that the uh, miles book is that that's something that's uh on amazon that people can find i think it's out is of it print, out of print? Okay. Um, right now, there may be some some reprints floating around PDF on archive. Okay, uh, to find an original because it was uh, printed, uh, finally published in 1925. Okay, um, they're uh, they're rare. They rarely come up. And uh, but that might be one to to talk about. We could, yeah uh, yeah down the road. Some, let's uh, do that. reprints or something exactly. and uh, and get involved with for that. sure. Um, so because he's very multicultural, very much believed in. That the equality of different cultures and nations and races and people he even wrote an essay on race relations uh, following that trip. Uh, and that's so that very early. I mean, that is him. that is 40, 40 something, 50 years before before. Uh, well, at least 40 years before uh, civil rights movement in the U.S. So it's at a time of absolutely of uh, of of, uh, of challenge, certainly in the country. So. He was, and the solution was the same, or the influence, or let's say the, the wisdom uh, you use to approach these things uh, is the same as it was then, as it is now. And that's partially what he tried to encapsulate mm -hmm. in this book, The Secret Teachings. 
you know, is this body of knowledge uh, and the correct use of it, which involves using your own consciousness, and we'll, uh, we're, we're almost at that point to talk about yeah. that, that uh, it becomes then the solution. It's like a universal solution to almost any particular problem because it's the approach and it's the you, <laughs> the enlightened you, mm -hmm. uh, who approaches these things that makes the difference that finds solutions. Hey, before I forget, um, I want to let the listeners know of this, uh, the great article that you, that you sent over to me uh, from the PRS journal. Uh, it's from autumn of 1970. And there's an article called the great, the great book. And it is a wonderful uh, recollection of all the things we're talking about and, and, and more uh, written by Harold B.B. Uh, Voorhees, who was uh, a member of the uh, Rosicrucian uh, Order, the Supreme Magus of the Rosicrucian Order at the time. And that is uh, available at uh, manlyhall.info. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Man, I think it's manlyhall.info. Manly Sorry. That's a great resource. That's one of the best resources. Yeah, I've referenced that many times, and every time I forget the uh, URL for it. So <laughs> thank you for, for keeping me <laughs> <All right>. honest. <laughs> um, okay, so let's do this. So let me just wrap up about the book, and then let's get into, you know, really what is the book and, and how to approach it. Absolutely. I believe it was 2,400 copies initially uh, printed. Um, about the, uh, in 1928 and 29, this very, very large, the very nice gilt edges and thick paper from the Nash Publishing Company of the Secret Teachings uh, eventually sold out. And then the stock market crashed and we have this depression in the 30s. So, uh, but 1920, so May 28, 1928, that's the book, that's the, the book is dated on yes. that. Then in... Uh, in 1929, October, it's October of 1929, I believe, is when the, uh, the stock market yeah. crash was. And then the depression is 1929 plus up until about the beginning of World War II, just to put that in perspective for, for people. So there were actually, I'm looking at this, there were 2,200 copies of that original, uh, of that original printing. 2,200. 2, so it's okay. a su subscriber's edition at 550, King Solomon edition 550, Rosicrucian 100. Theosophical edition, 200. And then the fifth edition, the last one was 800 copies. Uh, just to per yes. put that in perspective for people. So sorry. You can find an original 1928 version, one of those. Mm -hmm. um, what do those go for? Maybe two, 2000 2000 and up uh, for one in good shape. About $2,000? Um, yeah, they're, they're probably going to be, you know, start worth for more sure. and more as, as time Absolutely. goes on, especially if they're in, in good in, condition, uh, very yeah. good shape. But what happened was in, you know, after this, you know, the roaring 20s and all this funding that um, was so easy to, it seemed like a lot easier to, to get, um, Hall never wanted that to be an obstacle for people to get to the wisdom. Um, yes, a $75 book, but now is, is hard for people. Um, so it wasn't for everybody. No. But in 1936... He came out with a reduced size and black and white. I think it was a photostat facsimile reproduction uh, of the secret teaching, still mm -hmm. hardbound and had everything that's in it, but it was just all printed in black and white and sold it for $10. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So here's this $100 book that eight years sure. earlier uh, was selling out like you wouldn't believe. And now it's here it is $10. You can see it in the pamphlets that he printed out. Uh, there was there were gilt edges and illustrations and all this in the 20s with some of his books. And then in the 30s, it's it's like you just printed it off in a press in the back room with a one color kind of hard card paper sure, yeah. um, mm -hmm. cover, you know, folded over and stapled, you know, and he sold those for 15 cents. Uh, so and he spoke at Carnegie Hall in the 40s. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's how it didn't really matter what the world was going yeah. through. He made sure that, and this book is a reflection of that. Uh, and it got republished and reprinted all through the, uh, and be, became color again in the 70s. Mm -hmm. 
1975, he offered a color version again that came back. And I think that sold for $100. So <laughs> there it was 50 years later. Uh, so it did in the, in the 20s. Uh, yeah. Back then. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it sounds like a big book and an expensive book, but it's an investment in, in your wisdom and the wisdom of the world and the Absolutely. future Absolutely. <laughs> of the civilization. Uh, and it's still about a hundred bucks or, you know, whatever you can find. Or, or the, or online. Like you said, so those reader's editions are very affordable. I mean, I think in, on Amazon, they go 15, 15 16 bucks or something or, and used, yeah. I mean, they're, I'm sure even less. So, yeah. 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 No, and, and you can look, you, the text is available yeah. online. For free. Um, for free. For free. Yeah. So it's, you know, uh, the point is, you know, that's one journey is, I guess, the book and the text. And it seems obviously that it survived and will continue through its hundredth year. And I'm sure beyond uh, it's, it's outlived its author. And, uh, and but the wisdom in the pages hasn't outlived us. And what's in the pages moving on um, is this encyclopedia of wisdom traditions, mostly from the Western. He did, there was not a lot on, you know, Taoism or Confucianism or anything, although he approached those subjects before and after all throughout his career. Uh, this one mainly deals um, with uh, a broad range, anything from alchemy to American Indian uh, symbolism, biblical, uh, Masonic, all the mystery schools of the Greeks and the Chaldeans and um, sure. In Odin, the Nordic mysteries, all of the, se uh, the secret societies, Rosicrucians, the Egyptian magic, yeah. the Egyptians, Freemasonry. I mean, you name it. Atlantis, which we did a little piece on Atlantis and uh, one of our yes. other shows. Uh, by the way, I am going to make a quick plug for all of our other secret teachings uh, podcasts. Go back and listen to those. They're all uh, they're all on sections of the book. And I think uh, if you are excited about this book as we are. You will uh, you will love those uh, talks that we've done. So go and check those out. Uh, sorry for interrupting you there. All right. Okay. Well, so it, yes, it's an encyclopedia, and yes, it covers a broad range of mysterious images and ancient traditions. But in June 1928, uh, just the month following its publication, he gave a couple lectures in San Francisco, and he dedicated parts of those lectures to the book itself. So this is presumably the release of the book. And he's telling us how to approach the book or maybe how to look at it. So he says uh, to look at it as a front door. Mm. Does not tell you very much, but it's a path leading to ancient wisdom. You'll find in it 45 chapters, all presumably different and yet all exactly the same. Mm. The 45 chapters tell one story and repeat it again and again each repeating it in a different way, each reaching a different type of mind. So yes, it seems like it's all over the map. Uh, and it's sometimes it's very hard to see the same story again, although there are some similarities mm -hmm. uh, that do pop out. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the mystery of the book. And, and this really, this is the only place I've seen him that we know where he's articulated this. I mean, how to, how um, to actually approach this material. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. How to actually yeah, love approach this. it. I, I consistently uh, refer to this. So this is document. very rare. Yeah. I mean, it's only, yeah, it's one document. And I don't know if, you know, probably a handful of people even know yeah. about it. Hopefully not more through the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I thought that was really interesting that, um, so maybe one of the ways to approach it is, you know, skim through it or whatever. But if one chapter of these 40 jumps out, well, maybe that's the one, at least now at this point in your journey, is resonating with your mind and your consciousness. So then maybe focus on that one and try to um, get into it. Um, but he goes on to say that it's not what you are going to get by reading this book that will help you. It is what you will get if you will think about what you read. Yeah. So it's kind of a two-part process. Uh, yes, you're going to read about it, but then what are you going to do about it? Or what, how does this affect you? And another approach he goes on to say uh, about the book is that there are basically three ways that he presents the material, the symbolic 
philosophy of all these ancient wisdom traditions. So and three, these three, three are, specific ways in, in the book that this material is presented. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and one um, involves the, uh, the color plates. There's a color plate, full-size color image uh, facing each, each new, new chapter. chapter. So there's 45 of those, plus there's some supplemental, a couple of them fold out. There's one at the introduction. So there's more than 45. I think there's 54 uh, total of these, these color plates uh, that these are pictures and they're very symbolic. There's, you know, there's a very famous one that gets used a lot of Pythagoras holding up a pyramid and his, uh, you know, theorem sort of encrypted in some of the imagery. I have that but on, this on is my wall, one, actually. Yes, I love, yeah, I love one. that one. Uh, and this is one level of entry of approaching this book is approaching the ancient wisdom is really just by looking at this colored picture. And there's a caption that describes what goes on and explains some of the, the images. But just with that one image, or you could look at the whole book and look at all 50 colored pictures and, yeah. as a picture book, and, and you're going to get something out of it. But it works on you in a different way. When you see, and you know, if you don't read the caption, you're just looking at the image. Um, it's visual imagery. It's not literal uh, texture or representational words that point to, you know, kind of narrow something down. Uh, this opens things. So that's up. more of a, wow. What is yeah, this? That's thing? more of an intuitive or a symbolic approach. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, of uh, the, uh, the tarot cards, you know, that those, those symbols on the cards, just looking at the cards is a sort of a meditation unto itself. And it's opening up a, you know, archetypal part of yourself on a, on a different level. It's not a rational sort of thinking mode. It's something quite different, isn't it? Right. It is. I mean, you can look up in a book, like, well, what does the four of clubs mean? And, and then you'll get an interpretation and that can be helpful if you're uh, sure, studying it. But, the, but on another level, you could just kind of look image, at the pictures and take a image. guess. Sure. <laughs> you know? Even or beyond it, language, what's though, it hitting you right, right now? Even beyond you language, what, what's going on in, in yes. the unconscious? How is that affecting? We might not even know. On a rational level, we think, oh, this picture means this, this, and this. And then on a subtle level in the unconscious... Uh, the personal unconscious it's you know it's actually affecting a completely different part of ourself and we don't even we don't even realize it and that's the beauty of of symbolism well it is and it can mean something different to you than it does exactly exactly Uh, so it even has that really kind of a personal thing so that's one approach or one level of the book uh then another level of the book is on every page um surrounded by text and that's really kind of an old book way old bibles mm-hmm. were done that, that way where there's an image in the middle and then the text kind of text flows <laughs> if we yeah. know this from desktop publishing uh, around the image as it does in the secret teachings uh, so within that are these there's over 200 black and white they, they're either line drawings or uh, reproductions from you know woodcuts or uh, you know metal engravings or things mm-hmm. like that uh, many of them going back you know hundreds of years thousands yep. of years and um, and that's another level. You can look at those images, and you know there's an egg with a snake wrapped around it. This Orphic yeah. egg, and wow, that's you know what does that mean to you? You know, so there's another way to look at these black and white images. And then the third level of approaching the material is reading the text in each of mm-hmm. the chapters, and each one plays a different role. Uh, it acts upon you differently. Um, and sometimes the same subjects will be reflected in the text as they are in the color picture or in the inline drawing, uh, but you're revisiting it in a different way. So already you have this, this threefold interface with the book. So your body and your mind and your eyes are going to be affected you know, on different levels in different ways. Uh, with this book so it's very much a magic book but it really has everything to do with how it plays in you and he you know finally he goes on to say that uh, that it's like a door it is a door opening up into say a temple of wisdom and he says within it is contained a wealth of imagery, a wealth of mysteries, designs, and figures. 
And when you have wandered therein, so opening the book is like entering this mm -hmm. sanctuary, uh, you, might, you might say to yourself, and he says, quote, I wish I had a guide to tell me what these things mean. So mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I've heard yeah. that from people with the secret teachings, like, you know, wow, this is great. What a trippy image. And what does it mean? You know, what do I sure. do with a snake wrapped around Yeah, me? yeah, exactly. You know? um, and he finishes this by saying, this is his, you know, final statement uh, regarding the book. So I wish I had a guide to tell me what these things mean. And you will find your guide to be your own rational wow. soul. Yeah. So that's kind of the scary part about it is that, you know, yes, you have, you know, this door and yes, you have this, this menu, uh, this smorgasbord sure. of imagery and things, but it's, it, we all must travel this alone. Now we can talk about it and we can have book studies and exchange information, which is really great. But, it, um, you know, when it comes down to it, it, it's really, you know, what is that working on you in your soul? Exactly. And, and let that speak to you and oh, maybe some of it you don't like. Yeah. And maybe this you don't disagree with. Well, fine. That's your rational soul. And if you look at the dedication of the original 1928 book, which I think made it in the subsequent reprints, it is dedicated to the rational soul of the world. Oh, fantastic. Pulls it completely and that's, full circle. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's huge. Your own rational soul if you are reading the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I think... Uh, the Very. rational collective soul as well, uh, the kind of self with a Absolutely. capital S or the absolute. And so speaking of that, I want to kind of get, get back real quick again to that point of the idea of having um, one, uh, one central idea that's repeated 45 different times. That was a very valuable sort of clue or, or secret that he's giving out when I, you know, when I'm reading, I, I try to keep that in mind and I try to look for that. And I think that if the listener can keep that in mind while reading this, look, look for the, the one story in all of these chapters that will elucidate something very important for you. And we may or may not come to the same conclusion as to what the one story is, but it'll tell us something very great about ourselves. Would you agree with that? Well, think of the hero. I would. And you can even think of um, the hero's journey. If, uh, a lot of people seem to be familiar mm -hmm. with it. If not, it's a Joseph Campbell monomyth that most you know, myths and it very well plays into most movies, at least successful movies um, today, follow this, this theme of initiation or departure, initiation and return, this hero's journey, um, you know, the story of a, what is it, the hero with a thousand faces. Sure. Uh, so maybe Top Gun and Sound of Music you know, seem like very different movies, but in essence, there's this template. The archetypal, of the hero's the journey. archetypal journey the archetypal. is in there, isn't it? Absolutely. That's a yeah. So like what that is to mythology, think of that uh, of something similar in a way to the ancient wisdom. What's the monomyth? What's the single story in, in, in each that of those? Gets repeated yeah. in different ways, and that brings yeah. a great deal of, of light, I think, to the to the subject matter when you're when you're searching in that in that fashion. Uh, another thing, well, it's easy to get lost in all this complex and arcane imagery. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and you can get, you can kind of get, but to, to find underneath it all, uh, there's a common thread. Well, the two, uh, you know, another suggestion, and he makes this himself in this document that we're referencing, which, by the way, is called "Remarks on on Mr. Hall's Book." Um, he talks about, you know, when you approach the book, really says to begin begin from the beginning. In other words, start uh, at the very beginning of the book, read the introduction, read the preface, read all of the of the front matter in the book before you jump right into uh, into into the work. And it, it he, he essentially will tell you how to approach the work, not as, as clearly as we've just elucidated, but he'll, he'll hint at what you need to look for and so on. Because, like you said, it can be a, it can be an intimidating book and it is an encyclopedia. So sometimes it's, you know, be like sitting down to read an old encyclopedia britannica or something you just pick up a volume and start reading it from the beginning it seems a little bit odd to do that or to read a dictionary but it's not like that when you read it you can read it from front to back or you can take sections that you like it just like you said you know if something sticks out particularly to you some symbolism of a particular chapter holds your interest start with that but do start with that material at the beginning uh the preface the introduction and thinking about the one story I think that's a good way to, to, to frame approaching the book for a first time reader. Would you agree? 
I wouldn't. That's very well put. Thanks. Thanks. Um, all right. So let's let's talk a little bit then about um, today. What's the importance of the book today? Okay. Uh, how can you know, how is it, how is it, why is it still important? Why are people still reading this book? Why is Manly Hall still, you know, hugely popular on YouTube? What's, you know, what's, what's the deal with that? Let's speak about that a little bit. Well, the purpose or the reason and the why having it now, why is it important now is the same reason why it was important in 1928 to publish it in the first place. The same reason why these ancient traditions and mystery schools were developed thousands of years ago, it is to serve a need that man, humankind, uh, throughout time in different civilizations and different, and different movements of consciousness, technology, and social standings, however we uh, you know, find ourselves, we have a tendency as a culture, as a creature, to get lost in the world. And this is a theme of most of the great religions, uh, that this world of Maya, of illusion, or of material things, or the profane, or the mundane, earthly existence. So just the, the, day-to-day, the day-to-day living, different the stresses, than, the money-making, all of that stuff, right? Yeah, and we lose touch not only with you know, what the world is all about, that there's this whole other invisible uh, you know, landscape of archetypes and ideas and ideals and ethics and morals and, uh, you know, culture that we lose sight of that. But we have also, and I think this is where the book really mm-hmm. gets to, and this is why he placed such an emphasis on the personal, you know, reader, <laughs> the aspect uh, that, that this is your soul, that it has to be involved with this stuff, is that we have also lost sight of who we are as human mm. beings. We've become enamored in the world and in the material world and we've sort of rejected, you know, with science and other things, you know, the spirit world or superstition or that, well, that's just invisible uh, or that's faith or, you know, you can't prove that uh, type. And then this becomes important, what's in front of, and yes, it is important, but we're talking about a balance, that it becomes out of balance where it becomes, you know, heavy with the material things uh, that we just so just as that has happened with the world mm-hmm. around us, the material kind of versus the spiritual, we've also done the same thing to ourselves. You know, we have you know our human sure. creature, this being, this thing that walks around and eats and and you know has appetites sure. and urges and does things. Um, yeah, that needs to be maintained. Um, but you know, there's so much more to us. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the great traditions always teach that, that we have this connection to a higher source, whether it's, you know, an inner wisdom, uh, the you know, inner Buddha nature, the Christ in you. That higher, uh, that higher it, self within you, us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, your higher power from, uh, from you know, a, alcohol uh, mm-hmm. addiction recovery. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredibly common theme, uh, but these traditions and the old mystery schools were, uh, they were really built to help us, you know, stay in tune. And now it's not for everybody at every stage in their life, but um, the way this book is and the way the ancient wisdom is, you can't really, it would be like learning math. If you're in grade school learning long division, um, you're not going to get harmed by differential calculus or trigonometry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could try it. It's probably not going to work for you because you need a, you know, algebra, you need sure. some things. Uh, to learn before you get there. So if you're, you know, at, you know, playing out of your league or in over your head or something, uh, it's just not going to be yeah, effective. Yeah. So you're not going to mess yourself up. You're not going to mess up the world. Um, but use what you can at whatever level. And then each level gives you more knowledge, more of a foundation from which to approach uh, more refined or, you know, higher, maybe more Absolutely. complex. Absolutely. Um, and you know, what's, what's interesting about that too, is speaking of, of the book, I mean, if you follow it in a sequential order and you take the time and you take, take it slowly, it gives you the tools to approach those, those higher mysteries. And I think, uh, I think you s- said this, but, uh, or someone said this, that it's like that the secret teachings is like a mystery school, in a, in a book. Was it you that said that? Or was it in one of the readings? Yeah, I think so. you said, I'm going to quote you on that because it's genius. A <laughs> yeah. mystery school okay. in a book. I think that's just beautiful. So 
you know, and speaking, speaking of that, uh, speaking of the mystery schools, I think that another thing that he wanted to do with this book was to preserve the, that golden chain or that those, that golden thread, which he believed existed. You know, many, many people believe that behind all of the religions and the spiritual speculations and all the different movements and symbols and so on, that at one time uh, there was a sort of a mono religion, speaking of a mono myth, that there was a, a secret and hidden wisdom that, that existed that was sort of passed on to initiates and to uh, different individuals. And that, you know, each of these different schools of thought, these different movements and so, out, so on through history are actually an error to, that, to that, that teaching. And that this book is a compendium that, that presents and preserves that golden thread, the, those, that golden chain uh, in each of these different, um, these different approaches. Do you, do you, do you see that in there? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. That's, that's great. And it, and it's to reintroduce. reintroduce. Yeah. Like reintroduce your soul. Cause there's probably part of you and me that, that kind of already knows that. Yeah. Or has some yeah. conscious, uh, not quite conscious to our uh, daily mind, um, but on some level of our consciousness, we are connected to that that's why you know we see a movie yeah exactly by it because we see ourselves in that it touches something and it's opening us. Uh, i saw field of dreams the movie and i was you know i don't want to watch a baseball movie sure, I'm sure. About baseball what well, it was all about baseball but nothing, it had to, nothing do baseball. to do with baseball just like rocky, rocky <laughs> and that's has the... nothing to do with boxing it, it's it's oh, no. it's not i don't even know how they call it a sports movie i just watched it again the other night and i'm like there's like there the fight at the end of the movie is like 9 minutes long or something that's the boxing phase and then a little portion at the beginning then the rest of it's just you know one man's journey to him in, to himself at any rate yeah he's in yeah. the ring boxing his own yeah. soul yeah. his own no exactly you know, exactly uh, fighting for you know to go the distance he didn't even want to win it's such a you genius know? movie so but you're right and that's a good point because i mean you know today we have the idea that a child is born you know as they say tabula rasa a blank slate uh, that's sort of the materialistic idea and and jung and all of these philosophers of the past many, many, uh, you know, different uh, traditions and so on would say, no, we come in with, with seeds of, of things within us already with different propensities and different ideas and sort of archetypal wisdom that just has to be activated. And I think it wasn't that, that was Plato's idea that, that, that knowledge was something that just had to be re reactivated in essence. It was already in there. It wasn't something we put in. It was something that was there that needed to be sort of uncovered. Is that, it was from Plato, right? Well, it's, I, yeah, and I think even the uh, the etymology of the word, uh, you know, educate, educare, is you know to sure. draw out. Very good. Does, doesn't mean to pull yeah, in. To draw out. To, to draw out, and that's the role of the teacher, and that's the really the role of this book and the mystery schools is to bring something out in you. Yes, you need to be exposed to this. Yes, you need to see the you know, the awesome images and read the fantastic tales, and uh, but you have to experience something with within that. within yourself within. right yeah yes yes that it has to work on you in some way i mean you know i'll just go back to movies we can leave a movie theater and be moved sure um in two yeah. hours and you know it's hollywood actors and special but something and all this something stuff, shifted archetypally inside. something touched yeah. you and it can it can be life-changing and that movie can be a touchstone for your uh, philosophy of life um that you always go back on um, maybe a movie like Casablanca. Here's somebody again, like you know Rocky, somebody wrestling with his soul. It's a movie about redemption. It's, it's World War II in yeah. the bar, um, but the real battle is going on inside this guy's soul, and um, he's fighting for it. And at the end, when you know, Laszlo and Ilsa are, are going to get on the plane, and he you know self sacrifices his ticket out of Casablanca, Laszlo turns to him and says, "Welcome back to the fight, Rick. This time, I know." our side is going to win. And I'll be damned if that doesn't bring me to tears every time I, no. I didn't even talk yeah, about beautiful. it. I'm like, oh my God. That's a beautiful scene. But it's because he's got back to the exactly. fight. He got back on track. He got in tune with the infinite. And that's what the secret teaches in this perpetuation and preservation. And, and the, 
the, the you know kind of the promulgation yeah. i guess i'm looking for a word but um that we're talking about this now. yeah yeah and someone's going to listen on the podcast and there's you know people already buying the book and yeah. you know, looking at it online and reading it and we're we are carrying the lamp we are passing the baton of wisdom and it's up to us uh, now in this yeah moment to get involved exactly. with this, you know, the mystery information exactly. and to uh, have it work on our own souls then it shows our up lives. in our lives and our works but we're doing the, the yeah, work too exactly. by really talking about this book and we're keeping this alive we are reading his remarks from 91 years ago uh, so that they can be heard again today and 100 years from now someone's going to exactly 100 years i completely later. agree this, and, and, but we are doing that today and, and that's, that's that's the yeah where and, we are. And, and you are a gentleman and a scholar my friend you did a, a wonderful job presenting <laughs> the material thank you so much i'll take the scholar <laughs> and so with with that i mean we're gonna we'll wrap it up a little uh you know at the end okay. here but uh, approach this book and you know, let it be a mystery school for you. Uh, you know, we've given you some hints about how you can how you can approach this book in, a, in an intelligent and, uh, you know, a productive way. Uh, the Secret Teachings of All Ages, Manly P. Hall's classic work. So May 28th is going to be um, Tuesday. So you'll be listening to this on Sunday, May 26th. We do these in a week in advance. So I say to you on Tuesday, you know, I'm projecting into your future. Uh, happy uh, Secret Teachings Day. <laughs> Happy Secret Teachings Day. That's Great. what we're going to call it. And so each year we'll go ahead and do uh, something special uh, before uh, May 28th uh, to celebrate this uh, important and life-changing for me and for, your, for you as well, I know, uh, book. And I know that the readers, Definitely. if they're able to approach it uh, in the same way that we have, will find the same kind of things that, that we have. It, it really is a, is a life-altering book if you allow it to work on your inner life. So thank you again, Chris. You did a spectacular job. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners and all of our uh, uh, new supporters to the uh, podcast. And please, if you get something out of this, uh, you know, feel free to, to contribute whatever you can to keep us, you know, to keep us on the on this path of doing this work each week. If you can contribute a little something, you know, a few a few dollars, five dollars, ten dollars a month, whatever, okay. uh, there is an option. Uh, to be able to do that through through anchor and we appreciate those who have uh, who have supported the show uh, we will be back next week we have a new show every sunday i'm your host jason napolitano and i have chris sheridan on the line thank you again chris and, uh, chris your book is uh the spirit in the sky and that's available on amazon.com my book is um the uh i forgot the name of my book all of a sudden how do you how do you like <laughs> if you can worry if you can worry you can yeah. meditate or in other words if you can forget you can you can you can meditate as well, apparently. So ah, uh, you have achieved. I have no achieved mind. Zen, no mind. All right, thanks again, and goodbye, and God bless. Thank you. <laughs>